So let's get into the Word of God here, James, uh, chapter 2 this morning. Last week, we finished chapter 1. We looked at verse 26 and 27. Let's just read those together, then just, you know, kind of look at where we are. And it transitions absolutely uh, to where we are this morning. And James builds on this teaching this morning here in James chapter 2. But in verse 26 of chapter 1, he says here, If anyone among you thinks that he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And as we looked at this, we talked about, you know, the real meaning of religion. And the true meaning of religion, it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. And we talked about the fact that with so many people, when you say religion today, they classify that as something that is bad. Um, True religion, it means to be God-fearing, it means to be reverent, it means to be holy. And so we absolutely want to be a people in that sense of, in the true sense of what religious is, to be a people found growing in that. It's interesting though, you know what, religion is so oftentimes associated with spiritual pride today, and with legalism and so forth. And it's interesting because that's really what James is addressing here. If someone thinks he's religious, if someone thinks that you know what, uh, he is all that, so to speak, uh, someone that exalts themselves, uh, their religion is useless. Uh, spiritual pride, it's a great hindrance to the body of Christ. Uh, and notice what he says here, if he thinks he's religious versus knowing, we shouldn't think of ourselves as religious, but we should think of ourselves as sinners saved by grace who want to grow in the Lord. And there's a far difference between that and walking around with this air of piety about you and so forth. And this is what James is addressing. Again, religious is good, religion is good, and we want to abound it in the true sense. But if you're thinking I'm so religious, James is saying here, listen, your tongue exposes the fact that your heart is deceived because no one can tame the tongue. And we talked about all the different aspects of that last week and really focus in on the fact that spiritual pride really makes our religious useless. Instead of being vessels of honor in the hands of God, we become these vessels of dishonor. And then he goes into, the, into what pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father, what it really is. And he says to visit orphans in their trouble and to visit widows in their trouble. And really what he's saying here, you know what, if you're really religious, if you're God-fearing and you're reverent, that's not going to be seen in you walking around saying, boy, I'm so religious. Hey, I'm God's gift to the body of Christ. I walk in the room and you hear, oh, you know, and this kind of halo that comes over me. But it's going to be seen in that I'm going out and ministering to people that I got nothing to gain from. And we talked about in this culture, widows and orphans, they were basically regarded as, dis, as, as disregarded property. And there wouldn't be any monetary gain in that culture from doing those things. So in going and ministering to individuals that you have nothing to gain from, it's reflective of the heart of the Lord. Because listen, God didn't need anything. God doesn't need anything. God is self-sufficient. And we, he didn't create man saying, boy, I got a real void here. I think I need to create some men to, you know, kind of make me happy and to fulfill who I am. He created us out of the overflow of his love. And absolutely, even on a rebellion, he went to the cross demonstrating his love for us. But he didn't do that to get something from us because he doesn't need anything from us. He's God. And so, again, pure religion is saying, listen, I, I want to go to minister to those around me that I don't have anything to gain from. That's an act of humility. 
And then he also says here to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And that's key in this as well because, unfortunately, we're living in a time where many people in their spiritual pride do go out and they visit orphans and widows and they kind of pat themselves on the back, but they're all spotted up with the world. And we're told to remember before this to cast off all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and with meekness receive the word of God implanted into our hearts. So it's a picture of going out and doing, but it's also a picture, again, of abounding spiritually in our heart. Keep one's self unspotted from the world. That's a picture of holiness, being in the world, but not being of the world. And again, if we just have spiritual pride, we're useless. And there's great deception there because oftentimes when people are full of spiritual pride, they think, again, that they're God's gift to the world, and really they're deceived. And so with this in mind, James builds on this this morning. And this morning he talks about, again, this call to minister and to interact with others without partiality. This call to treat others the same, whether they are poor, whether they are rich, whether you might stand to gain something from them or not. And and we're going to talk about how Jesus himself, the Lord, is our example in this, that he showed no partiality, that God is not a respecter of persons, that it is true, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And listen, we need to hear this this morning. We need to have our minds renewed by this truth because our flesh is prone to show partiality. Our flesh is is prone to show prejudice. Uh, It's absolutely prone to show favoritism to people who we we can benefit from. And it's prone to push aside and look down on people who we feel superior to. And, And, you know, that can be expressed in all kinds of different forms in all kinds of different ways. It manifests itself, you know what, in, in, in many different, you know what, uh, masks and so forth. So a little bit of where we've been, where we're going. Let's read our text here and dive into it, and, and hopefully we'll leave here more equipped uh, with our minds more renewed and more in love with Jesus this morning. He says here, My brother, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. If there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves. So you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now notice here right off the bat who James is talking to. He's talking to the body of Christ. He says, my brother. And listen, the brother, again, that he's talking about here are those that know the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you know what? These adopted children of the Lord through faith in Him. 1 John 3, 1, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Now, before we knew the Lord, we weren't brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We weren't even children of God in that sense. We were all children of Adam outside of Christ. But when we put faith in Him, we became, again, adopted sons and daughters, and we are brothers and sisters in this room 
that have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who he's talking to. And you would think, you know, and the hope would be that we wouldn't have to be addressed in this matter of partiality, but we do need to be addressed in this matter. And so we want to have an open heart this morning. We want to receive from God's word, and we want to know that the Lord here is not talking to the world, which is full of prejudice and full of partiality. He's first and foremost talking to us. And so he says, my brother, do not hold the faith, and we'll come back to that here in a second, but he says, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord of glory with partiality. And notice how James addresses the Lord. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's remember that James was a half-brother of Jesus. They had grown up in the same household together. We know, again, they both had Mary as their mother. Mary, though, was a virgin, and she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit of God, and Jesus was conceived, and he was born into this world. God Almighty took on the form of man, and he was born without a sin nature, because, listen, a sinner can't die for other sinners. We needed one without sin, and Jesus was born without sin, without a sin nature, lived a sinless life, went to the cross to atone for our sins, and he defeated sin and death when he rose again from the grave, that whoever will call upon the name of Jesus to be the Lord's saved. That's the gospel. James, though, was, again, his half-brother. They shared the same mother. And remember while James was, uh, you know what, there with Jesus, when Jesus was in his ministry, James didn't believe. He was a skeptic. He was a doubter. There were times when, you know what, he even mocked the Lord. But when the Lord Jesus rose from the grave, James was converted. James recognized that, indeed, my brother is the Messiah. Notice here he's recognizing that, my brother is the Lord, and he calls him the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at the reverence that the half-brother of the Lord uh, gives to the Lord. And this is something we need to take note of here. You know, and he doesn't say, my brother, and hold the faith of our homie Jesus with partiality. And it is true, Jesus is our friend, and we should acknowledge that. And you know what? We call the father Abba, meaning Papa. And that's all wonderful and good, and, and the Lord wants us to know that. But it seems today there's more emphasis on Jesus is my homie than Jesus is my Lord. And let's be a people found that absolutely, again, have that intimacy with them and know that he's our friend, but also have that reverence. And I think it's very important, especially when we're in a time when there's so many that don't have that reverence towards him, that there's so many that attack his deity, attack his word, attack the cross and the reason why he came, attack his name and attack his second coming. We don't see that with James here. And then notice here he says, the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory. And listen, this is a reference to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where we see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we see each of them singular, yet we also see them as one. And James here is absolutely addressing the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory, as God. I love this where you go to Psalm 24 and it talks about the Lord of glory. And what, what James says here, the Lord of glory, referring to Jesus. Keep that in mind. I want to read these few verses to you there. Psalm 24, 7. And I, I would just hope and pray this would be our prayer. And this would, again, just enlighten our, our eyes more who to, who, to who Jesus is. It says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle? Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory, the Lord of hosts? He is the King of glory. And let's make that the prayer of our hearts. Let's make that the prayer of this fellowship to say, listen, 
Let's lift up the gates to let the Lord of glory come and flood in, to be honored, to be magnified. Let's remember that he's strong and mighty. He is on the throne, and no one has knocked him off it, and no one will knock, it off, knock him off it. He is ruling and reigning upon high. That is reverence. That's acknowledging him for who he is, and absolutely we want to be a people that do that. Now, again, notice what he says here, my brother, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord of glory with partiality. Listen, do not hold the faith. What he's talking about here is people that have faith, how they're walking in that faith, how they're exercising that faith. He's talking to the brethren that have become brethren, the sisters that have become sisters through what? Through faith in Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. Again, do you have that faith this morning? Can you say amen to that? You put your trust in Jesus Christ to save you, and it's a done deal. We're saved by grace through faith, and what he has done, it's finished. That's a glorious thing. We're no, no longer under the law that condemns us. Now we're under grace. We are free. What, what, a, what a glorious truth this morning. That's something to rejoice in. But the question is being asked or is being proposed, you know what? How are you holding your faith? How are you walking in your faith? How are you exercising your faith? Uh, are you holding it in high regard? Are you applying, you know what, your faith? This law of liberty that sets us free, are we walking now and we're called to walk in or are you trampling your faith? And listen, we need to know that we are called to hold our faith first and foremost with the fear of God. Knowing again, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone and that's a wonderful thing, but we are going to give an account. It's a different judgment, but we are going to give account of what we did with our faith. How we exercise our faith, that we use our gifts, you know what, did we use our possessions, how did we use our time, and so forth. And absolutely, we should have a fear of God in that. 1 Peter 1.17, notice what it says here, if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges each, one, each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here with faith, or in fear. And so again, are we holding our faith, knowing, listen, I'm saved by grace through faith, but I'm going to give an account for my life. Or am I just kind of, you know what, saying, well, I'm saved by grace through faith, so, you know, who cares, whatever. I, I, it doesn't matter. I, I can show partiality. I can do whatever I want. Listen, he says here to hold your faith without partiality. It's a picture of walking with the fear of God. I'm going to give an account for my life. We also, again, we've talked about reverence, and we need to hold our faith with reverence. And we see that even with James here, saying the Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory, there's a reference, there's a worship there in what he's saying. Hebrews 12, 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So let's hold our faith with a reverence, knowing that, yes, we are, again, saved through the finished work of Christ Jesus. Let's honor him now with our lives. How are you holding your faith? And absolutely, let's hold our faith and walk in our faith in a manner that's worthy of our call. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And notice here, this is related to how we are treating one another. If we're walking worthy of the call of Christ, it's going to be seen in our interaction with others. That's what Paul's addressing there at Ephesians. That's what James is addressing here in this epistle. And part of holding our faith in a manner that's God-fearing, in a manner that's reverent, in a manner that is worthy of our call, 
is not showing partiality towards others. Partiality here, it means to be a respecter of persons. It means to show favoritism. And so again, if we are going to hold our faith in a manner that brings glory to God, there can't be partiality. And this is huge because this is one of the areas in the church, it's one of the areas in our life where oftentimes a light is not shined on. It's an area where oftentimes, listen, there's partiality practiced, but we get blinded to it and we don't understand the severity of it. We don't understand the damage of it because, listen, we grow up being partial and it's not, you know what, oftentimes equated to perhaps, you know what, um, sexual sin and you know what, swindling and things that come forth that uh, the damage is seen more quickly. And it's interesting in the next text here, which we'll get into next week, he talks about if you break one point of the law, you break the whole law. If you murder, if you commit adultery, you're breaking the whole point of the law. Then he goes back to say judgment is merciless to those who show no mercy. And so you need to understand that showing partiality It's really equivalent to those two things and that you're transgressing the law and you're not walking or holding your faith in a manner that's glorifying God and this is doing a lot of damage. Romans 2.5, but in accordance to the hardness and your impotent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation in the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patience continue in doing, uh, in, in doing good, seeking, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. And notice your tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. To the Jew first, also to the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good. To the Jew first, also to the Greek, for there's no partiality with God. See, God shows no partiality. He's saying to the Jew, to the Greek, to the Jew that believes there's salvation, to the Jew that does not believe in Christ, there is eternal damnation. And to the Greek who believes, there is eternal life, but to the Greek who rejects, there's eternal damnation. Now, the gospel came through the Jews, and it's to the Jew first, but you're not saved just by being a Jew. And there's a lot of people that think God's partial to Israel. Well, he's a Jew, so he's saved. There's people that even teach that heresy. And God say, I'm not partial. Listen, you got to humble your heart and put your faith in Christ. Otherwise, you're going to hell, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Greek. There's no partiality at all with God. And God even took Israel and separated her, not just for Israel, but through Israel, all the world could be blessed. All the families of the earth should be blessed. And so God's not partial. God's not partial when it comes to skin color and ethnicity. Listen to Acts 17, 26. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. We all come from one blood. God's not saying, listen, I prefer this group over this other group or these folks with, you know what, a darker pigmentation over these others with a lighter or the other way around. They've all come from one blood. And the Bible says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of mankind. But praise God, Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But the truth is, whoever rejects him, they're under condemnation. John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. 
And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. There's no partiality with him. None whatsoever. He doesn't show partiality in regards to people's position, in regards to people's wealth. He's not impressed with those things because any position anyone has, God gave it to him. And any wealth that anyone has, God gave it to him. So he doesn't stand back and say, well, I am impressed with this person's position. I'm, I'm impressed with, you know what, the things that they possess. He gave them all those things. Job 34, 19, yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the works of his hands. And so when we're showing partiality, again, we're not holding our faith in a manner that is God-fearing, a manner that is reverent, a manner that is walking worthy of the call of Christ. We're not holding it in love because God is not partial. We see this with Jesus in his ministry on earth. He spoke to all men the same. Whether he was talking to a Pharisee or a prostitute, whether he was talking to a Jew or a Gentile, he had one message for all of them. You know what it was? Repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. And those around him understood it. You see in Matthew twenty-two sixteen, and they're trying to entrap Jesus in the text here, in the context here. But what they say to him is true in regards to his person. It says there, and they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone for you do not regard the persons of men. Again, Jesus talked to all men the same. He understood behind all of these layers is a soul that needs to be saved. And all this stuff that's out in the front, it's just really masked that to, you know what, mankind hide what's behind there, though God sees it all. It's all open to him. It's all laid out before him. So again, so if we are showing partiality, we're not in line with his heart. We're not in line with his word, but we are in sin. Again, some more scriptures on this, and there's tons of scriptures on this, but 1 Timothy 5.21, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, <coughs> excuse me, that you observe these things without partiality, doing, or without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. And now James gives us an example of this. And unfortunately, this is an example that it's still applicable today. It's a judgment. It's a, it is a unrighteous judgment that oftentimes the church falls into. We'll talk more about the reasons for that here in a minute. But notice verse 2 and 3. He says, For if there should come into your assembly, and I'll just stop there for a second. The word assembly means synagogue. And I throw this out there because oftentimes people even get show partiality with where you meet on Sunday morning. They met in homes in the New Testament. So you've got to meet in a home, and we're partial to that. Well, assembly here means synagogue. It's like a building like this. Again, there in the first century, there were a lot of Jews that were Christians, and they would use the synagogue to hold their meetings to talk about Jesus being the Messiah. There's not a distinction with the Lord. All I know is where two or three are gathered in his name, the Lord is in their midst. Amen? Amen. So this is, if someone could come into your assembly, so this is a, you know, they, it's, it's a setting like this. We're here together, and, and you know what? Few people wander in. The, we don't know who they are. And a man, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, it's interesting, gold rings, it's not talking about a few rings, it's talking about fingers covered with rings and fine apparel. Oftentimes, this was talking about a soft, you know, purple was big back then. If you had purple and a lot of gold rings, it was like, ooh, you know, this guy's got some wealth. 
And they might have just had a big old MasterCard bill, but, you know, again, we were foolish in our judgments. Gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And so this would imply someone that their clothes is tattered, someone that, you know, perhaps their clothes are dirty, they're not fresh. Notice here, you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit over there at my footstool. Now we'll talk about what he says next here, but he's making a distinction. The guy that comes in and he looks wealthy, he's got the rings, he's got the purple, you start giving him all this attention. You come sit in the good seat. And then the man comes in with these tattered clothing, this man that comes in, you know what, uh, with, with the dirty clothes and so forth, notice, and you say to him, you know what, stand over there. So there's an ignoring going on. We'll come back to this here in a minute. You're saying, you go stand over in the corner. We got to cater to this guy that has the appearance of being wealthy. Or worse than that, this is even worse, sit here at my footstool. You know, that's saying you're under me. That's what that's implying. And you know what, notice James doesn't say, when they both come in, give them the dress code. He doesn't even address that. He's concerned with the heart here. Now, we should be modest, but there's nothing mentioned at all to say, you know what, you got to give them the dress code when they come in. And we didn't know that because we show partiality in those things. Again, the law of liberty does talk about being modest and not stumbling our brethren, but it says nothing about saying, listen, you got to put on all those gold rings and the purple attire on Sunday morning and make sure you really dress up to be reverent towards the Lord. The Lord's looking at your heart. You can be sitting there all, you know, decked out to the nines, whatever, and just be full of a heart of rebellion. So that's not the issue here. But he says in doing this and giving attention to the rich man and catering to him and courting him and ignoring again or looking down on the individual, you know what, with, with the filthy clothing here, he says, You've, have you not shown partiality among yourselves? And so notice here, become judges with evil intents. This is not a righteous judgment. This is judging based on outward appearance. It's judging based on what we see in our eyes. Who looks better? Probably, especially in this context in those days, who smells better? Who's more attractive? That's an unrighteous judgment. Listen to what Jesus Christ said in John 7, 24. Do not judge according to appearance. When we make these judges supporting according to the outward appearance, whether it's, again, the way someone's dressed, the color of their skin, the length of their hair, whatever it else it is, it's not a godly judgment. He says, but judge with righteous judgment. So he doesn't say don't judge at all. He says, listen, when you judge, make sure you're making a righteous judgment. And a righteous judgment is judging according to the word of God. And it's making a judgment not to exalt yourself and say, oh, I'm so religious because I'm not like them. But it's assessing the situation to say, how can we biblically minister to this situation? That God would be glorified in what's going on here. We see a great example of this in 1 Samuel 16. We know that Saul has, you know what, he's in the process of having the kingdom ripped from him because of his rebellion, and God has told Samuel to go to the house of Jesse because one of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king, and he ushers out all of his older boys, and one in particular really impresses Samuel. He's really impressed by his stature and his broad shoulders and the way he looks, and he smiles, and you hear, ding, you know. And this is what the Lord says to him. Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
Now, by the outward appearance, this looks like the guy. This guy should be the king. But no one was looking at David, who was younger, who was out there in the field. I mean, again, we're, we're talking about in cultures where children were giving no props, and he was still, you know, considered a child. And yet the Lord looked out, and he saw this young man's heart that he worshiped the Lord and so forth. And God said, that's who I want my king to be. And praise the Lord, the Lord intervened, and praise God that Samuel had a sensitivity to the Lord. But the Lord's correcting him here. We can't judge according to outward appearances. And you can miss out on a lot when you do that, and you can be fooled a lot when you do that. And this is not only to the glory of a God, but this is to give us some wisdom as well. Listen, it's also a judgment that's being made based on how society ranks who is important and who isn't. And sadly, a lot of societies say, listen, the more money you have, the more important you are, and the less that you have, the less important you are. So we're going to cater to the important people. But again, God's not impressed with that. Any position anyone has, God gave it to them. Any things they have, God gave it to them. So the Lord's not looking at things in that manner. But we see example of this in Scripture. A great commentary from Jesus on this. Great truth teaching. Luke 16, 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard these things. And they, were deri- and, and they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. Again, God's looking at the heart of the matter. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So let's not take what is an abomination to God and use that on how we judge others or how we treat others. That's not a righteous judgment. This is also a judgment based on bad doctrine. See, they had a mentality back then that if you had great wealth, that meant that you had salvation. And they, they, they associated poverty with sin. And that was a big mistake. Now again, is money bad? No. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And again, we should be thankful for what God has blessed us. We're, we're a wealthy nation. And listen, we don't need to be ashamed of that. We should be ashamed if we're not thankful to God for that and we don't use those things for His glory. We should be ashamed with that. But we don't need to be ashamed of what God has blessed us with. But they were in a place where even men that weren't thankful to God for what they had, they said, oh, well, they're right with God but these individuals that don't have wealth, it's because they're not right with God. Jesus had to correct this. He's dealing with the rich young ruler, and basically in Mark 16, 25, after this guy's walked away, not believing in the Lord, and it says here in Matthew 10, 25, it's, Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astonishing among themselves. Who then could be saved? Because again, they had the mentality, the rich people are saved and the poor people aren't saved. And this continues today. Listen, there's a lot of what you're going to see on Christian TV. It revolves around these types of false doctrines. Kenneth Copeland, quote, poverty is an evil spirit. John Hagee, quote, poverty is caused by sin and disobeying the word of God. James isn't saying that, is he? He's not saying if a poor man comes in in your place, cast the spirit of poverty out of him and say, listen, you're in sin because you're poor. Now listen, let's look at the totality of the Word of God. The Bible says if you have the ability to work and you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And there's some people that are poor because of sin, because they don't want to work. And that is true. But there's other people that are poor for upright reasons. Listen, there's been many people that had phenomenal opportunities to make heaps of money, and they said, I'm not going to do that. The Lord's called me to the mission field, or He's called me to a place of ministry where 
you know what, it's not going to be lucrative monetarily, but I want to be about the business of the Lord. And listen, with that as well, there's people that the Lord has blessed with the ability to make money, and that's part of their ministry. Listen, to have the gift of giving, guess what? You got to have something to give. But we can't judge based on bad doctrine like this. Listen, it's also a judgment based on a form of usury. And oftentimes in the scripture, when it talks about usury, it talks about the rich using the poor to get wealthy. These these credit cards with these high interest rates, it's usury. You know, there are certain states to their credit that have banned certain creditors from issuing credit in their states because the interest rate is so high they are committing a crime. And this is why you'll see Montel Williams talking about this line of credit, and it will say, but not available in New York. And listen, I don't agree with probably... 99% of the politics in New York, but I agree with the fact that's usury. That's taking advantage of these people. And they said, we're not going to let you do that here. And that's something that should be dealt with in our nation in a more aggressive rate. But this is a picture of using the poor or those with less using the rich. It's basically them saying, listen, let's cater to the wealthy because we can get something out of it for us and for this ministry here. And there's a lot of people that are wealthy They'd expect to be catered to like that in the body of Christ. Simon the sorcerer, when he saw the, 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 that the baptism of the Holy Spirit came in from laying on hands, he said, listen, how much do I need to pay to get this gift? And he was expecting for him to say, you know, so much. And he said, listen, your, your gold and your silver perish with you. You thought you could purchase the things of God with money. And there's a lot of churches today, they'll cater to the wealthy. I know a lot of pastors, they're subjected to elders boards and to business boards that aren't, you know what, the godly men in the church, but they're the businessmen in the church, and they run the church as a business, and they say, listen, you can't teach the word of God because it offends people, and if people aren't here, we're not going to have as much money, and that shouldn't be the case. It should be, listen, who's God raising up, not who has the most money They're the ones that directly go in that place of leadership. Now, listen, you can have money and have wisdom. So we're looking at the whole picture of this, but oftentimes this is the case. And what's interesting about this is oftentimes, I found it to be the case, not always the case, but you see it biblically as well. Oftentimes, listen, the people with less oftentimes are more generous than those with much. It talks about the widow, how she out gave all those guys. They just gave out of their extra. I got some extra, so I'll give it. She gave out of... Again, her livelihood, she gave out of her poverty. Listen, this is something as well, and and I want to say this in a manner that is biblical. We need to make sure that we are not looking at people just as cash cows for us. That we're not saying, let me find some people that can benefit my bottom line in my business. That's an unrighteous judgment. And people look like they might join my business. I want to target them because I can make some money off them. And listen, this isn't everybody, but we got to be careful. We want to receive from the Word of God this morning. Because sadly, over the years, I've had more than one conversation with individuals who said, listen, so-and-so wanted me to join their business. And when I told them, I wasn't interested. They've never talked to me or looked at me since then. That's problematic. Listen, it's not everyone that's a business person. 
It's not, every, not everyone that has a product they believe in that can help people, but make sure that if you're selling a product, that you're not looking at people as marks, no matter what that is, no matter what business that is. That's an unrighteous judgment. You need to be asking the question, am I looking at people first in their walk with Jesus? Am I wanting to point them to Jesus first? Am I wanting to build them up in the Lord first? And then perhaps maybe you have a business opportunity that's from the Lord that's going to bless them. There's nothing wrong with that. Praise God for that. But let's make sure that, again, we're not showing partiality, saying, who can I profit from? Listen to this. Listen to Proverbs 28, 21. To show partiality is not good because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. And if you're showing partiality... So they can benefit your bottom line. It's basically like sinning for a piece of bread. We've got to take this to heart because these are issues that oftentimes aren't talked about. These are things that just kind of skate by. These are things that oftentimes frustrate non-believers that say, oh, they make such an issue about homosexuality, but there are a bunch of people that show partiality and they're hypocrites. And I get, you know, to a point, there's some truth in that. And this is why James is hammering this here. This is why we want to take it to heart. We want to receive from the Word of God. And listen, because we're all prone to show partiality and prejudice, this should all be cutting us to a degree. But God cuts us to heal us, amen? And I I really believe this. The more you honor God, the more God will honor you in your business. Honor the Lord. Put Him first. Watch the Lord go before you with that. Let's do things His way, amen? This is also, also being a judge with evil thoughts. And again, you're giving too much glory to a man. You come and sit up here. Oh. Or again, say to a, the man with the filthy clothes, you stand over there in the corner. You're not worthy of our attention. Or worse than that, come sit at our feet. We've been called to be hospitable. We've been called to reach out to all people. Let's make sure even on a Sunday morning in our synagogue, so to speak, we're not just looking around wanting to connect with the people like us. When I say that, you, your person, your makeup, I, I think we're blessed to have a, a lot of diversity here. And you know what? Being unified in truth, and that's a wonderful thing. But let's break outside of these barriers, amen? And let's also remember in this, Jesus was poor here on earth. Matthew 8 20, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Translation Jesus was homeless. But there was a purpose, a reason for that. It's not that Jesus was lazy. Jesus wasn't some beach bum that just, you know, hey, dude, what's happening? (laughs) Jesus worked. Jesus went to work. He went to the cross and worked for you. He was always ministering. But there was a reason behind it. He became poor so we could be rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. God became a man. There's no bigger step down than that. Why? So we could go to the cross and atone for our sins so we could have, again, eternal life and eternal riches. But when we shun his poor servants, we shun him. Proverbs 14, 31, he who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. Now, notice verse 5. He says, listen. And I think he says, listen here, because at this point, we're all offended and we all want to tune out. 
Let's be truthful about it. We're all prone to show prejudice. We're all shown to show partiality. We all have a tendency to cater to people we can get a little something from. That's just the truth of the matter. And if you say, oh, I'm religious, listen, your old tongue shows the fact that you're deceived in your heart. He says, listen, my beloved brother. And I love this. Listen, my beloved brother. And I'm saying to you this to you out of love. I'm saying this to bless you. I'm saying this to benefit you, to lead you in to truth. Proverbs 24, 23, these things also belong to the wise. It's not good to show partiality and judgment. Let's be wise in this, amen? Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? And listen, the truth is, though again, there's nothing wrong with wealth, the self, and money. It can be a blessing Unfortunately, for a lot of people, it keeps them from being faith in, putting faith in the Lord because they put faith in what they have. And those that don't have a lot, there's less to put their faith in, and oftentimes they're more prone to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't always the case. Listen, there's a lot of poor people that they're striving, they're envious, they're jealous. They love the idea of you take their money from them and give it to me without me working. That's called thiefery, and socialism is wicked and satanic. That's not what we're talking about here. That's evil. But it is true. Here comes a poor brother who loves the Lord, and they say, you go on the corner or you sit at my feet, and there's not a, there's short-sightedness in this. This is a wealthy brother. This is a brother that is an heir of the kingdom of God, and we're going to treat him like that? And in Christ, we're all heirs of the kingdom of God. Listen, this is the this is a place full of real wealth, eternal wealth. So let's, let's see who we are in Christ Jesus. And again, that's a righteous judgment versus all of these prejudices that we have and the short-sightedness we have. Verse 6 here, he says, But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts. And again, if we dishonor the poor man, we're dishonoring the Lord, whom the poor man has created in his likeness and image. Listen to Proverbs 22.2, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. And how many poor people do you know that oppress the masses? The rich, again, not all. When you look at who's oppressing the majority of people in the world today, it's people with power, it's people with resources, People that are lying, when we talk about oppression, just lies. They're just oppressing the world with lies. You know, oh, people, Fox News, I watch them, and it's probably better news than a lot of it out there, but the guy that owns it, Rupert Murdoch, he's the leading, the, the, he puts more, more pornography than anyone in the world. That's oppressing people. That's an oppression that's damning souls to hell and keeping people in bondage. Because of his wealth, his ability to do it. I mean, how many of these, you know, the hundred billion, you know, the billionaires, the hundred most wealthy are using that wealth to buy Bibles and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and saying, making that their first priority? Maybe there's some. I, I don't know of them. I do, I do know a, a lot of believers. There's believers in our fellowship that, you know, use their wealth for the glory of God. And praise God, they're exercising their gifts. So again, we want to look at this in the totality. But James is making a point here. Listen, you're, you're giving all this honor to a group of people that oftentimes they oppress you. They drag you into court. They use their wealth to put their foot on your neck and to hold you down. And listen, wake up to the reality here is what he's saying here. Psalm 10 too, the wicked 
and his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. In Ecclesiastes 5.8, you see the oppression of the poor, the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province. Do not marvel at the matter, for high official watches over high official, and high officials are over them. So he's saying here, listen, don't honor that which is sinful. Verse 7, do not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called. And again, many wealthy, but not all, they dishonor the Lord. They don't give thanks to God. Foolishly, they think more highly of themselves than they ought, and we should not honor that. And how many Christians do you know? They run around infatuated with celebrities that are wealthy that run around and they blaspheme God at every single turn. And listen, it's not to say that we can't appreciate someone's talent, someone's gifting. This isn't a call to legalism. But let's make sure we're not running around like a bunch of, you know, little girls in the 60s going crazy because the Beatles just touched down, you know, on their plane in San Francisco. And they get out and they blaspheme God. You talk about blasphemers. Did they not blaspheme the noble name by which you were called? He's saying, listen to this. This this cuts people. This is an offense. But we got to be able to receive it. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. Now listen. Now he's bringing this, you know, into a broader picture. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? The poor, the rich alike. And to fulfill the second, you got to start by walking in the first, love the Lord your God. That's the first command. And how do we walk in that? We learn of his love for us. He wasn't partial towards us. That should cause us to love him more. And then in turn, show no partiality to our brothers and to our sisters. And in loving your neighbor as yourself, you will do well. You'll hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And again, this goes both ways because we're at a time today where many people honor the poor over the wealthy, and that is not godly either. And there's a lot of confused people in our world today, again, that promote poverty as some sort of badge of honor. And you see this rise of socialism wanting politicians that say, I'm going to take from them and give it to you just because you deserve it. That's thievery. That's stealing. That's not biblical. Those with wealth should say, I want to use this to help others in a biblical manner and way. But the other is thieving. Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of the mighty in righteousness. You shall judge your neighbor. But sadly, oftentimes in the church, the slant goes the other way. It's just the truth of the matter. Here comes the wealthy person in. Let's cater to him. Let's you know, court them, let's do all these things to get their favor, and they might give that, you know, that, that money so we can build that wing of the church and name it after them. It's just the truth. It, it, it's not the truth. Don't we not see that? Verse 9, and we'll pick up on this, Lord willing, next week, but if you show partiality, you commit sin. And see, if I don't take this message this morning and preach it this way, I'm in sin. If I say, hey, I might offend somebody, somebody with wealth might get up and leave, someone, 
you know, might say, I'm not going back there. I don't like that. I'm in sin. And I can't do that. I, I know we're in this culture war right now where you see all these protests of people saying, you know, the poor are oppressed. So, you know, you, you, you know and, and this divide. And so, listen, you better, you better preach this in that conservative manner and way. I'm in sin. There's a balance in this. And there's a lot of conservatism that, that is selfish and prejudiced and partial, and it's wrong. And we need to crucify that. And there's a lot of that other stuff that's nonsense that's wrong too. But if we're showing it, we commit sin, and we are not holding the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ in a manner that fears God, is showing reverence, and walks worthy of the call of God. And notice you're convicted by the law as a transgressor. And we'll get into this, Lord willing, next week, but he moves into, if you break one point of the law, you break it all. He says if you commit adultery, commit murder, you've broken the law. But then he brings back the partiality. And he does that because, boy, murder, ah, adultery, ah, partiality, eh, who cares? You be partial. You're building the kingdom of God in your partiality. And he says, no, the law of liberty that's freed you has called you to walk worthy of the Lord. And that means you don't murder, you don't commit adultery, and you don't show partiality either. You take the word of God in its totality. You don't pick and choose what caters to you. You say, okay, Lord, I want to walk worthy of all of it, so help us. And we need help in it. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bless you this morning. We praise you. We give you glory. We give you honor. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Give us ears to listen. Give us ears to hear. I pray we won't stand in judgment of the word, but we'll let the word judge us. Lord, I would pray that the words that have been spoken in this pulpit would be judged by the word of God itself. Because I want to honor you, God, and rightly divide it. And we want you to be the final authority in saying all these things. Listen, if you're here today and you haven't called upon the name of Jesus, maybe it's been because, you know what, because of partiality and prejudice that you've thought, you know what, I'm, I'm not fit. I can't call on his name. Maybe because of treatment that has come from Christians. Jesus says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I encourage you, if you don't know him, you've got to call on him to be saved. Because no matter what you're standing on for the reasons not calling on him, maybe because it's Christians, oh, I'll have a justification. No, you're under condemnation. The Lord wants to set you free from that. He died on the cross so you can be set free from it. Humble your heart. Turn from whatever your Lord is and put your faith in Him this morning. That He can wash you, that He can cleanse you, that He can set you free and be your Lord and Savior. And Lord, help us in this area. We need it, Lord. We really do. Let us listen. Let us hear these things. Let us not, you know, move forward to the next text and the next text and then just, just kind of gets buried and gets lost and it's something that, okay, well, you know what? That's not before us, so it's not important now. Lord, we need our minds renewed in these areas. And we ask for your help, knowing you want to give it to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Listen, let's lift our voices to the Lord. Let's give him praise. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song.
Amen. Hey, the altar is going to be open up here, and you know, I encourage you this morning, if you need prayer, to come up here. If you gave your life to the Lord, come up here. And listen, if the Lord, if the Lord cut you this morning, and you need to spend time with Him, do it. Don't leave here and let the enemy get the victory. He says to receive the word with meekness implanted into our hearts. And we'll be blessed by that. He'll be glorified by that. He has good plans for you. His word's not there to hurt you, to damage you, to bless you. Amen? Amen. So God bless you. Have a wonderful day in Jesus.